Well, it's only two and a half weeks from Christmas. Uh, We are well and truly into the silly season. Uh, We've been getting Christmas advertising bombarding our letterbox boxes for weeks. I think it was about October when Big W and Target started selling Christmas trees. But you can really tell that Christmas is getting close when you start to hear Christmas carols. Uh, When you walk into a shopping centre and you hear jingle bells or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know Christmas must be close. You might even hear Silent Night. Now, it's a shame, I think, that we don't hear more of the Christian carols because they're more than just nice songs to sing at this time of year. Many of them are actually really quite profound. They're really rich in their lyrics. They've got terrific things to teach us. And so starting this morning, in the three Sundays in the lead-up to Christmas, what we're going to be doing is looking at three carols and what they teach us about the real meaning of Christmas. So in each talk for the next three Sundays, we're going to look at one verse from a well-known carol. Now, you'll still need your Bibles uh, because our carol writers, they were soaked in the Scriptures. And so we're going to be launching off the words of the songs to see what truths of God's Word that they're tapping into. Today... Uh, We're going to be looking at the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we're going to jump straight into verse 2 because it is a ripper. And in a nutshell, verse 2 is all about how Jesus is God in the flesh. And by the time we get to the end of it, we'll see uh, that Jesus being God, that is a truth that means we should worship him. So let's take a look. The second verse starts with the idea of Jesus being the everlasting Lord. Uh, The opening lines to the carol uh, will come up on the screen for you. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Uh, He's the one who is Lord forever. Uh, Not just now and not just forever from now into the future, but from before the creation of the world and into eternity Christ, the everlasting Lord. Now, this idea of Jesus being Lord even before he was born uh, comes from Christ's lips. So in a moment on the screen are going to come some verses from John chapter 17. Uh, This is the night before Jesus died. Uh, He's praying. And as he prays, he asks God the Father to restore him to the glory that he had before the world was created. So we read this in John chapter 17. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before the world began, Jesus reigned in glory in the presence of God the Father. Jesus is God the Son. He has existed forever, eternally, in glory with God the Father. He has ruled over all things for all time. He is Christ, the everlasting Lord. So the Southern Cross in the sky, you know, the five stars that make up that constellation. Uh, The furthest star away from us in the Southern Cross is 364 light years away. That means that the light we see from that star is 364 years old. So when you look up at the stars tonight, assuming you can through the haze and all the rest of it, when you look up at that star, you'll be seeing light from that star, but the light you're looking at actually came into existence 364 years ago. That light existed well before you were born. That is a little bit like what we've got here with Jesus. 
The people that were with Jesus face to face, they were looking at him, but the person they were looking at actually existed well before they were born. He's existed forever. He is God the Son, the everlasting Lord. But it was only recently that God the Son was sent to earth to become our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the next lines of Hark the Herald take us. It was only late in time that God's Son has come to earth. So again up on the screen, here's the next two lines of the carol. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. So this one who existed before the world began, God the Son, he was born of a virgin's womb. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 1. And Charles Wesley, who wrote this carol, describes his birth as late in time. It's a little bit weird way of speaking for us. You know, what does he mean by late in time? Does it mean he was born after his due date? You know, he was late. I would have thought with Mary riding on that donkey, it'd be early, if anything. <laughs> uh, late in time is not talking about Jesus being born after his due date. Late in time simply means recently, lately. So not early in time, that'd be a long time ago. No, Jesus was born late in time, just a little while ago. And the Bible tells us why Jesus was only born recently. It's because God waited until the time was just right for his son to come to earth. So here's some words from Galatians, again up on the screen for you. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. God sent his son when the time had fully come. It's the idea that Jesus coming to earth, it's in fulfilment of all that God had promised previously. So it was only after all the preparations had been made, after everything was in place, when the time had fully come, then God sent his son. Because God wanted us to understand his son when he did come. If Jesus just popped out out of the blue, you know, with no explanation, no prior warning, we'd have no idea who he was or what he was on about. During the week, I read an article uh, by a lady on the internet and she was trying to apologise because years ago she'd received a phone call from a man claiming to be her brother. Now, she'd never heard of a long-lost brother. No one had ever told her about such a person existing. She knew who her family was and so she thought this must be a prank, maybe even a scam, and so she just hung up. Years later, she finds out from her family that there actually was a brother. He was adopted out uh, not long after he was born to another family. And so now this poor lady is feeling terrible about how she treated her brother. And so she posted this article on the web trying to find him to apologise. But how was she meant to know? You know? She had no way of making sense of that phone call, no prior knowledge, no words of explanation to be able to make sense of it. It's the same thing if Jesus just arrived with no words of explanation. We wouldn't be able to make sense of him. And that is the last thing Jesus, uh, uh, our God wants. And so for centuries before he sent his son, 
God acted in the history of his people to illustrate what it would mean when his son would come. For millennia, God gave his word to explain what it would mean for when his son would come, so that when his son did come, we'd know who he was and what he'd come to do. We'd know that he was God in the flesh. We'd know that he'd come to give up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. We'd know, and so we'd worship him. So it was only when the time had fully come, it was only late in time, that God sent his son, because he is the fulfilment of all of God's promises. Okay, so what have we got so far? So far we've got Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. But exactly what are we dealing with when it comes to Jesus? God come as a baby. You know, is he God or is he a human? Or is he both? What is he? Well, the Bible makes it clear that he's both, fully God and fully human. And that's where our carol takes us next. In the next few lines, we're taken to the truth that the man, Jesus Christ, is God in the flesh. So here's the next two lines. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Veiled simply means that our vision's obscured. You know, like when a bride walks down the aisle and she's got a veil on, so you can see her face. You can tell that it's Jenny or Ruby or whoever it is that you've come to see get married, but you can't see her face clearly because it's veiled. Hopefully she's the right lady. (laughs) Well, in Jesus we see God, but God's veiled because he's become a man who is God, yes, but he's now also a man and we can see the man, which makes it a bit harder to see that he's God. But the Bible wants us to be clear that the man, Jesus Christ, he is God. So in places like Colossians, we see this truth. Here's what Paul says about these things. And he is the head of the body, speaking about Jesus. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus Christ, we're told there, is supreme above everything. He rules and he reigns over every single thing. And why does he have this power, this authority, this position? Verse 19, because or for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The fullness of God dwelt in the man, Jesus Christ. So all of God's love, all of his limitless patience, all of his extravagant grace, all of God's tenderness, his mercy, his compassion, his righteousness, his goodness, his power, his authority, all that fills God in the fullness of who he is, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the man, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is the man who is God. That's why you hail the incarnate deity. Incarnate just means of the flesh. Deity means God. Jesus is God in the flesh. The last two lines keep running with this idea. They go like this. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Uh, You'll notice that the first man in those lines is a capital M, 
because that's talking about Jesus. He's the capital M man because he's also God. We are the lowercase m man because we're just human, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Emmanuel is just a Hebrew word that means God with us. My name's Alan. It means handsome. Sadly, I didn't live up to that. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus lived up to that. He is God with us. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus really is God. Which begs the question, surely, why did he come to earth as a man? Why would God, seriously, why would God become a man? Well, in the next couple of verses of Colossians, we're told why. And it's extraordinary. God took on flesh so that he could die. Now, think about that for a moment. The one who has lived forever... God the Son, reigning in glory with his Father before the world began, came to earth, born as a baby, to grow into a man so that he could die. Here's what we read in Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. God the Son come as a man to take on a physical body so that through his death he could reconcile us to the Father. He would pay the price for our evil behaviour. He would win the forgiveness for our sins so that he could present us to the Father without blemish and free from accusation. We're going to be thinking more about this one next week. But doesn't that just blow your mind? God the Son took on a physical body so that he could be beaten, mangled, pierced, nailed, and killed for you, for me, to bring us to the Father, free from accusation, completely forgiven, all our sins thrown as far as the east is from the west because God the Son took on flesh. Now what do we do with all this? What response are we to make to this news of Christmas? That God the Son, who is God, who has existed eternally, has come to earth. How are we to respond to him? Well, friends, don't think too hard. (laughs) This one's not rocket science. If Jesus is God, then you worship him. As it says in Hark the Herald, you hail the incarnate deity. You fall at his feet. And you say, my Lord and my God. The right response to the Lord Jesus is to worship him. To truly worship him. We're not talking about having Jesus as your top priority. Uh, We're not talking about the child's play of having Jesus as number one in your life. That is to think way too small about who Jesus is. 
The Lord Jesus isn't someone you fit into your life. He's not even the most important thing in your life. He is your life. You worship him. So in thinking about the place of Jesus in your life, sometimes we think of our lives like a bit of a list, you know, where you put Jesus at the top and then you put everything else underneath him. So, you know, Jesus is number one in our lives, which means he's the most important thing in our life. And then we can go and attend to all the other things in our lives that have some priority as well. So, you know, you tick the Jesus box for the day by reading your Bible at the start. And then you tick the go to work or go to school box. And then you spend your time with your family and your friends box and the go shopping box and everything else we try and squeeze into our days. But as long as we read the Bible and pray every day, then we're making Jesus top priority. And that's good. When we think like this, we find ourselves trying to find that elusive Christian balance. You know, where we try and find the right amount of time for God and our families and our friends and our church and our work and our school and our studies. And we find ourselves constantly juggling it all and feeling guilty about if we've really got God as number one in our lives. But to think like this about the Lord Jesus, that is to think too small way too small. That's not worshipping Jesus. That's prioritising Jesus. And you might do that with other things, but you don't do that with Jesus. Instead of picturing the Lord Jesus as, you know, the top of the list in our lives, we'd be better to think of our lives as completely coming underneath an umbrella, and the umbrella is our Lord and our God, the Lord Jesus. And our entire lives come under him. So we're not trying to fit Jesus into our lives as someone who's really important to us. It's that everything about our life is lived in honour and worship of him. Every single second of our lives is lived in service to him. There's not one aspect of our life that's not shaped by him. And so the time that we spend with family and friends, the way we work, how we shop, where our money goes, what books we read, what movies we watch, how we talk to people, the jokes we share in the playground, the way we drive our cars, the way we share our toys, how we use our phones, absolutely everything we think or say or do is done in the service of the Lord our God. Everything about our lives is done in worship of the Lord Jesus Because veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, and so hail the incarnate deity, my Lord and my God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Heavenly Father, please keep us uh, from fitting Jesus into a nice, neat little box. Father, please keep us from trying to squeeze him into our lives. Father, please help us to humbly fall at his feet and acknowledge him as our Lord and our God in every moment, in every situation, at all times, to gladly honour and worship him as the one that you have sent, our Lord and God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.